Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brant. In this episode, we're discussing SST-45, Black Flag, In My Head. And this is the last full length by Black Flag, so this is a biggie. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we get into that, Brant, I wonder if you have any spiels for the people. I have a few. Do you? I just have one, but you should start. Okay, I'll start. Let's see here. Oh, uh, so our blog... We got some great reaction to the Jeff Schreck piece on In A Car. So thanks to everybody that checked that out. We've got another one, a really exciting one this week. Stevie Chick, who wrote the great book, Spray Paint the Walls. If you listen to our Black Flag episodes, you've heard us reference that book dozens of times. It's really been invaluable, I would say, to our research for the podcast. And uh, I did an interview with Stevie Chick about... That book and his earlier book, Psychic Confusion, the Sonic Youth Story, which we'll be probably reading pretty soon when we get to that. So thanks to Stevie Chick for participating in that interview, and everyone should go over to mojackpod.com right now and check that out. Speaking of the blog, I interviewed this guy Robert Vodica today, and if uh, people don't know who he is, he wrote his master's thesis on Black Flag, and... We were lucky enough that he shared it with us. I think I first heard about it from Abe Gibson, actually, and then uh, tracked down Robert and got a copy of it. And it's a fascinating read. And I interviewed him today about that and a whole bunch of stuff. He ran New Alliance Records for many years in the late 80s and interviewed him about all kinds of stuff. It's going to take me a while to transcribe it, but that's going to be up on our blog sometime in the future. But what I wanted to mention... Ryan is a week ago or a couple weeks ago, I mentioned those uh, soul asylum reissues that are coming out on Omnivore. Yeah. Yeah, so Robert did the liner notes to those. Well, that's cool. Yeah, so I wanted to mention that. He had a radio show in the 80s and uh, did a bunch of interviews with Soul Asylum at the time and befriended them. And they asked him to do the liner notes for these reissues. So pretty cool. So everyone should watch for those. Which ones are being reissued again? Do you happen to know that? Uh, I believe it's Made to be Broken and Say What You Will. That's cool. Do they have a bunch of bonus tracks? I believe so. I think there's uh, some demos, maybe some live stuff. They looked really good. I did check them out at one point. It looked like there was, you know, 10 to 20 plus bonus tracks, like a second CD on the CD versions for sure. I wonder if those are all the tracks off that cassette only Soul Asylum record on Twin Tone called Times Incinerator. Yeah, I don't know that much about them, but... Because that would be... To get Times Incinerator on something more accessible would be long overdue for Soul Asylum. That's cool. I'm on it. All right, I'm sure you are. I'm on the Soul Asylum, especially the old Soul Asylum. Yeah, uh, the only other thing I wanted to do was give you a recommend. Uh Uh-oh. So I bought this uh, 33 and a third In on the Kill Taker book, the Fugazi one. Oh yeah. It's have you have you picked it up yet? Not yet. I'm on it though. You're going to love it. So it's by this guy Joe Gross. It reminds me a, a lot of Friend of the Pod Michael T Fournier's book on Double Nickels on the Dime in the sense that it kind of starts with like an introduction on the band, a good introduction, uh like a history of the musicians. It talks about the demos they did for the album with Steve Al- Albini. Oh, yeah. There's, I wish I could hear those, man. Woo. I'm sure they're released out there 
I have a bootleg of them. I'll I'll send them to you. Uh, <laughs> and then it kind of goes through the album, song by song, uh, much like the Michael T. Fournier one. Talks about, like he interviewed the band extensively for this. They all participated. Talks about, you know, uh, the songwriting process, what the lyrics are about. It's it. You'll love it. It's great. One of my all-time faves, without question, and without exception, too. Pretty much everything that they put out, I, was, I still love to this day. Yeah, any Fugazi, Fugazi fan would love this book. One thing I wanted to mention, though, Ryan, is they talk a lot about Steady Diet of Nothing, because it came out, obviously, right before In on the Kill Taker, and they were really unhappy with that album. What? Yeah, and oh. and still are to this day, and it, it really got me thinking, because... Uh, that's my favorite Fugazi album, and it got me wondering what what yours is. It would probably be that one. It's got Long Division on it, but I mean, I don't know. What is my favorite Fugazi record? I really like them all. I really like Red Medicine because it's really noisy. I really like 13 Songs, Repeater, because they're like classic, In on the Kill Takers, awesome. I don't know. They're all good. The Argument is great. Even that Furniture EP that they ended with is good. So I don't know. It's really hard to pick a favorite. It's like if you ask me to pick a favorite No Means No record, they're all like my my favorite No Means No record or Fugazi record, but for different reasons. Fair enough. Steady Diet of Nothing is the first one I got, so uh, it'll always be uh, near and dear to me, but it was interesting to read about how they're not super wild about it and why. Yeah, I would be very interested to read that. Yeah, what do you have? Well, actually, my spiel has an Ian Mackay connection. Now that you mention it, I just ha I have a book recommend, I guess. It's a book called Taking Punk to the Masses, From Nowhere to Nevermind. And I was uh, reading or just following one of, I guess it's like a Facebook site, the SST Facebook site. There's a bunch of them, but one of the main ones. And they were talking about what books have a lot of information on S SST in them. And of course, they kind of go through the usual ones, get in the van, the Carducci books. Uh, but this one was not mentioned, and I didn't realize it until I started reading it this week. And it comes with a DVD with like over two hours of interviews. But anyways, what this, what this is, it was a book curated for the Seattle experience music project which is now known in seattle as the museum of pop culture it has a ton of it's basically about kind of the history of northwestern u.s underground music and grunge and stuff but obviously there are some major major ties to a number of scenes from in the 80s sst being one of them which features prominently in the book and in the DVD interview. So Greg Ginn is interviewed at length in this DVD that comes with the book. Mm. There's also lots of really cool, like museum quality pictures in here, including Greg's Ampeg guitar. Oh, wow. Yeah. And lots, lots and lots of like, just, you know, the eighties American underground pictures and interviews and all that kind of stuff. A lot of stuff is very similar to what you have probably seen in a number of books, you'll see the same kind of anecdotes or comments from a lot of those sub pop Seattle grunge scenesters in, in all five of the different documentaries. Right. Ian McKay's in this one though. And also in it is uh, 
Joey Keithley, Joey Shitted from DOA, who we talked about last week, right. talking about with Henry Rollins. Henry's in this uh, documentary as well, talking about touring in the 80s and building that touring network with uh, with Chuck booking all the bands and then a lot of other bands just kind of exchanging numbers and, and uh, information. I've read about that a fair amount. I've seen a bunch of documentaries about it. This one was pretty good because it was just really raw. There was right. no no editing. They just kind of hit record and let the uh, let the talking heads go. So I'd recommend that. And it's cheap. Hmm. It's like 30, 30 bucks for an awesome book and like an over two-hour DVD. There you go. Now, the the Ginn interview, when was that conducted? Is that like... Late late 90s. Okay. Yeah, his, his discussion is... I mean, it had a couple of things, I guess, that I... Maybe I've read before, but I didn't really appreciate. Like he really made the point in these interviews that he never wanted to start a label at all. He had a full time job doing the electronics company, and whenever he wasn't doing that, he was playing music. He did not want, you know, a third full time job, and it was totally out of necessity. I guess we kind of covered that in the earlier episodes on the podcast, but to hear him describe it that way, I hadn't really heard it that way before. Hmm. Interesting. Are you ready to get into In My Head? I don't think I want to get into your head, but I'd like to get into the release. History Lesson, Part 1. So as you mentioned, Ryan, we're coming to the end of Black Flag. Now what I mentioned to you when we were just starting to prep for this episode, I think when we last left Black Flag, it was kind of the start of maybe the Loose Nut tour, the 85 tour. I think Anthony Martinez had just come into the band, replacing uh, Bill Stevenson. And what I suggested to you is let's skip ahead to the final tour, the 86 tour, and we'll we'll cover that era on the Who's Got the Ten and a Half release, which is coming up, oh, I don't know, 20 releases from now or something like that. Black Flag was <laughs> way broken up when that came out. So if you're if you're listening to this in the future and you want to listen in chronological order, Skip ahead to whatever episode that is. That's SST 60. All right, skip ahead. If you're listening to this in real time, well, you're just going to have to buy Stevie Chick's book. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this album came out in October of 85, about a month after the process of weeding out. I believe they were still on tour when it came out. That might have been when they were done touring. We'll get to that in the Who's Got the Ten and a Half episode. But right now we're going to skip ahead to January of 86, Ryan. My main sources for this were, well, there's a lot if you want to read about this era of Black Flag. Uh, Henry's journals in Get in the Van are really great. I read, in its entirety, I reread Joe Cole's book, Planet Joe. Have you ever read that one? Yep. So I reread that. Spray Paint the Walls, of, co of course, is great. I skimmed Rock and the Pop Narcotic. There's not a lot in there. There is few good things in in the Naomi book Naomi Peterson book of course our band could be your life so lots of stuff written about this era but this kind of is a good way to kick it off this is from get in the van Henry starts 1986's chapter by saying we got a new bass player named Sal he learned the set very quickly we rehearsed a little and hit the road for three six-week legs of America also on the tour were two other bands, Painted Willie and Greg's instrumental unit, Gone. Our entourage was two vans and a truck. 
Mitch Burry of Adams Mass was the tour manager. My friend Joe Cole came out as a road crew member. This ended up being Black Flag's last tour. If you want a different slant on the 1986 tour, you should check out Joe's book, Planet Joe, which are his journal entries from this tour. And then there is a great picture right underneath it of The Stack, which is <laughs> the massive PA system they brought with them on this tour. So there was a convoy of vehicles. It was like two vans and then a rider truck with the bars painted on the back. Two Dodge Ram extended cab vans. The first journal entry from the first show in San Francisco of the 1986 tour says, Ratman's new PA is set up. It sounds like the sky is falling down. <laughs> and if you, if you ever see the pictures of the stack, you can believe that. Henry describes it in that Taking Punk to the Masses DVD that I was just talking about. He's talking about that final PA and how they used to like basically finish a set, towel themselves off, and then 30 seconds later just start humping that gear back into the trucks. Like no time for signing autographs or anything. They just worked nonstop. If you watch the documentary with uh, Reality 86, which we'll get to in a bit, there are plenty of scenes of them like hauling massive road cases in and yep. out of the rider truck. They've got a new bass player on this tour, Sal. Kira has left the band by this point. I'm just going to go through some of uh, my favorite journal entries that I pulled out from Rollins. April 3rd, he talks about playing with Venom. I thought that was pretty interesting. Joe Cole's got a really funny uh, journal entry about that show. Going back a little ways, May 22nd, 85 in the journal. They're just a few dates into the Loose Nut Tour and... The journal entry says, In a plane headed towards Denver, Colorado. Yesterday, Greg and I flew to L.A. to finish up the In My Head sessions. I did two more vocals, a song called Black Love, and another one that I have not yet put a name on. So I thought that hmm. was interesting. Yeah. April 10th, he talks about uh, Ratman and Sal flipping the rider truck en route to the gig in Hoboken. So they were going to use the, the house PA system that night. And they were going to play through Gon's in-store equipment. Gon did, like, in-store shows just about every day to this tour. It must have had, a, like, a smaller little setup that they were maybe bringing in one of the vans. April 16th, he has a journal entry about Greg's guitar getting stolen. Apparently, Mitch Burry was sitting in the, like, sitting in the van and an arm just reached in and grabbed Greg's guitar. And he just thought it was one of the crew or whatever. But I think it was his Dan Armstrong that got stolen. Because if you look at Henry's uh, journal entries, the photos kind of follow along the chronological order of the entries. And there are pictures of Greg playing the, the Dan Armstrong on this tour. But then I think he also had an Ibanez. He's playing an Ibanez by this point, especially with Gone, I think. So he might have switched over to that permanently once, once his Dan Armstrong got stolen. I'm just speculating must, that that's the one that got stolen. but They must have got it back eventually. I don't think they ever did. There, Like I said, there are photos of it like in a museum in Taking Punk to the Masses, that book I mentioned. So they must have found it again someday. Hmm. Well, I hope they did. So you mentioned Gone, though. I thought I read something that something along the lines that in my head was originally conceived as either a Gone record or maybe even a Greg Ginn solo album. Does that make sense to you? I know I read that for sure in Stevie Chick's book. 
So it was a recording during Bill and Kira's final 48-hour session in, the, in May of 1985, originally planned as Greg Ginn's first solo album, conceived and produced as an instrumental set. Right. I think when they were maybe rehearsing it, Henry wrote some lyrics. That's why a lot of the tracks on this album are Ginn Rollins co-writes. I've heard Rollins talk before about Greg Ginn at the time was pumping out so much music he would just hand Henry cassette tapes of music. Here's what Henry says in Enter Naomi about this era. In 86, there were no sound checks. We played the same set every night for nine months. Oh, I think this is Carducci now. Greg wasn't done with music, but Black Flag was over. In my head is all Greg. Carducci thinks he considered making this his first solo album instead of the last Flag album. Tried doing vocals for the first time, but reconsidered. He also says, unlike on Damaged and My War, the side two on this one is side one. It's the album he'd been working on since Damaged, through one barrier after another. A masterpiece. And that's a sentiment you hear a lot from a lot of people. Like, a lot of people think this is the best Black Flag album. We'll get to that, our own opinions on that in a bit. But a lot of people do think this was the album that Greg had been trying to make since, you know, since Damaged. Here's a few uh, interesting things I found in the Joe Cole book. It's an interesting read. It's a lot like Get in the Van in the sense that he goes through bouts of depression where he just wants to be left alone. You can see why he and Henry are, are were so tight. Oh, and yeah. He talks about uh, Dave Marquis bringing his Super 8 camera along for the second leg of the tour. And he says that should make a pretty cool movie, which it does. We'll get to that in a bit here. Here's a cool int- entry I found May 1st, 1986 in Louisville, Kentucky. Jordan Schwartz flew out here to join us for a week and it's cool to have him out here he's a funny guy a natural talent and i was thinking that the dos Domin dudes i think said the same thing about him that he's a the funniest guy you've you could ever meet or something like that yeah uh here's another interesting entry from may 2nd 86 in indianapolis played tennis with cliff samuels drove in his yellow lotus with personal plate personalized plates that say gone on them you can see the that car and those plates in the documentary reality 86 cliff samuels i believe is thanked again on the back of of this album may 25th after load in rollins played me the new sonic youth record evil in the rat truck and it's fucking great so we'll be getting to that pretty soon so that is obviously in the can by this point in 86 june 22nd in grand rapids they played with dos Domin. thought that was cool I wonder if that's the show where they gave him the tape with King Crimson on the other side, or this is later. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it is. Here's one thing I found interesting. The last show uh, was June 27th. This is the last Black Flag show. 86 in Detroit. There's a Joe Cole journal entry from April 27th, 87. So, less than a year later. I leave tonight for Newark, New Jersey, to meet up at Andrew's house and go on tour with the Rollins Band. Yeah, it's quick, hey? Yeah, they weren't messing around. That's interesting, though, how, like, Greg's band went with Henry, hey? Yeah, well, we should talk about the opening bands on this tour. Painted Willie and Gone, both of who we're going to be seeing pretty soon here. Well, we've already had a sampling of Gone and Painted Willie on Blasting Concept Volume 2, Painted Willie, I, I believe they first appear on their Mind Bowling LP, which is SST 57. 
And then the Gone album, Let's Get Real, Real Gone for a Change, appears on SST 61. So in the next year or so, we'll be getting to these ones. They were both on the tour. There's definitely, if you read the journals, (laughs) neither Rollins nor Ginn make any bones about it. They are openly uh, (laughs) do not like each other. In Our Band Could Be Your Life, there's a suggestion that Ginn kind of like retaliated for Rollins' growing prominence in the band by keeping his vocals so far down in the mix they were almost inaudible. I don't think I agree with that assessment of the recording, but... I wouldn't find them inaudible, but lower than yeah. other albums for sure. And more more kind of effects on them, right? And yeah. buried. Yeah. Supposedly Rollins had suggested one time in the van, he just kind of blurted out, why don't we make a record that was that uh, sounds like the last one, so people won't always be trying to catch up with what we're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Which didn't go over too well with with Ginn. That is true, though, because, I mean, one thing that struck me when I was listening to In My Head so many times this week is like, wow, what a progression from Damaged. Oh, for sure. Greg Ginn's quoted also in in Spray Paint the Walls as saying, this is, his, in his opinion, the best lineup of the band. Anthony was my favorite drummer, he says. It was the best lineup. You know, it's interesting, too, to hear him say that because the last albums that we went through with Bill on them, mm-hmm. his dr- his drumming's pretty insane, and I would characterize it as pretty subdued on this record, Bill's drumming. Yeah, I can't speak much to live by all accounts. I mean, they were still killing it live. I don't know a whole bunch about Anthony and Sal's backstory, but they just strike me more as, like, rocker guys. You know, like, I don't think they came from the punk scene yeah i don't know there's very little about them henry did write up a tribute though to sal when he passed away um in the last 12 months or so i should maybe go back and check up on that like there was a lot of people on this tour i wrote down the names of everybody who was on the tour mitch burry still see his name and i think rollins thanks him in like every for sure every book he writes he always says thanks to mitch burry of adams mass I don't know if they're still friends or if Mitch still... I don't think he still works for him, but he was a tour manager on this tour. You've got the guys in Gone, Andrew Weiss and Sim Kane. Dave O'Clausen, Dave the Driver, he did live sound for Gone and Black Flag. Joe Cole, a roadie. Dave Ratman Levine did live sound for Painted Willie and also like created the sound system. You've got the Painted Willie guys, Vic... I'm not even going to try and say his last name right now. We'll save that for the Painted Willie episode. (laughs) (laughs) And Dave Markey, of course, on drums and vocals. Vic was on guitar. Uh, Phil Newman was the bass player in Painted Willie. Anthony and Sal from Flag. And then Rollins, 13 people in total on the tour. And uh, they were definitely, I mean, every second page in Joe Cole's book, he's talking about dropping acid, eating mushrooms. Sounds like it was a pretty fun tour. I mentioned a few times the uh, reality 86th documentary the whole thing's up on youtube you can watch it all and i I would recommend watching it if you're a black flag fan or a gone fan or painted willy it's it's never been released apparently dave marquis finished it in like 1991 or something like that and took it over to sst in long beach and he and greg ginn watched it together then they jammed for two hours And uh, Greg Ginn called him two days later and said, you cannot release this movie. If you do, I will stop you. Yeah, in the last few years, it's up and down off of YouTube intermittently. 
like it keeps getting taken down and but i believe it's been up for a good long while now it has yeah i've watched it a few times in the last couple of years i was just looking at that uh article that rollins wrote about sal when he uh passed away oh yeah and uh this is interesting because he's talking about him. And again, there's not much out there. Uh, he says, Sal took the job, which was probably a really good offer at the time, to play dates from coast to coast with an established band over a seven-month period. What Sal could not have known was that he had signed on for one of the hardest tours of duty the band would ever take on. It was a lot of shows and with them an almost dependably high level of violence. The audiences were less than thrilled with the band's new material and we players never much for getting along all that famously were starting to show signs of stress. Sal walked into all this without warning context or preparation other than being an extraordinary musician and a street streetwise man from a tough city. He did great. He also says he had a good sense of humor. He was a minimalist minimalist. He toured with a gym bag. And one of the toured with a gym bag, one of those thick blue navy pea coats, and that's it. And Henry says that he saw him occasionally after that tour, but not a ton. While the band didn't always get along, everyone liked Sal. There you go. Yeah. Well, you can see Sal and everyone else in the Reality eighty six documentary. Apparently it was suggested by Chuck Dukowski that they film it and he uh, finance the purchase of 20 rolls of film. Yeah. And there's some cool live tracks gone playing like outside. I think a, like a store, a record store. They play New Vengeance, which is like, I think it's the first track off their second album, which is cool. They were already playing stuff off their second release, which is total, totally Greg Ginn. There's uh, some really cool stuff from Painted Willie, which made me kind of excited to get to that release. There's a really cool Pain and Willie instrumental. Uh, there's a killer version of In My Head. Uh, there's a really good uh, Insidious Distraction in-store from Gone. There's a great Loose Nut, live Loose Nut. Kind of almost like a Gone video that shows that car with the Gone license plates. That was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. I, I asked Joe Carducci who Cliff Samuels is, and he said, I don't think we ever met, but he was this guy who was really into flag and probably loan them some money when they had problems on the road with vehicles, etc. You should mention what that gone license plate story is about, though, because that's that's pretty crazy. What's that? Well, wasn't it they were driving and it was just they spotted just a random car with gone on the license plate while on tour? I don't know. Yeah, I'm pretty well. I'll let someone correct me on that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know because I think they were already friends with Cliff Sam. Like it's his car, right? Is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, never mind. Yeah. I thought it, I thought it was random. I don't think so. Here's a pretty famous quote from Get in the Van that kind of sums up how the uh, tour ended. At some point in August 1986, I was in Washington, Washington D.C. when Greg called me. He told me that he was quitting the band. I thought that was strange, considering it was his band and all. So in one short phone call, it was all over. Time to start Rollins Band. Yeah, that's it. That's the end of Black Flag. You want to talk about In My Head? Let's do it. History Lesson, Part 2. What really struck me, Ryan, it sounds like a different session. Like, I don't know if that was done intentionally. You know, they wanted it to sound different from Loose Nut. 
considering it was, I think, more or less recorded in the same sessions, like, I don't, I don't know if they, like, struck the gear between, between Loose Nut and In My Head, or, or what they did, but, or if it was just in the mix that they, they made it sound different, what do you think? Well, one thing that I noticed is there's a lot of effects and a lot of multi-tracking on yeah. this, which is which is different than Loose Nut. Loose Nut was starting to show signs of that, but the production, I don't know. It's way drier. Loose Nut's way, like, this has got a lot of reverb on it. Yeah, well, I, I always call it, uh, It's I always say, this, this record's got a lot of goop on it, you know? Yeah. There's just a lot of, like, Henry's vocals are all reverb and echoed out greg's got i don't know maybe you would notice this more than me but it struck me that he's got a bunch of different tones going on with his guitars when he's multi-tracking them too yeah and again i I mentioned this before like bill's drumming is like just think about bill stevenson on my war or slip it in or the process of weeding out and compare that playing to on this record it's not even close right well, it definitely sounds to me like it was originally written as an instrumental album. Like the lyrics, the vocals to me uh, sound like an afterthought. A little bit, for sure. Like, I'm probably going to get... <laughs> I'm probably not going to win any new uh, friends by saying this, but like, this is probably... Like, for me... Okay, let me ask you this. Take out Family Man. Take out the process of weeding out take out the compilations like everything went black etc if you just include damaged my war slip it in loose nut and in my head where does this one fit for you that's a tough question slip it in is my favorite and then probably this might be my least favorite might be it's it's definitely if not my favorite my my second least favorite yeah it is for sure my least favorite it's you know I I guess when I, now that I think of it, loose nut is just I don't know I really like loose nut too now that I'm just trying to figure out where this goes. This one's near the bottom. Yeah, I'll leave it at that, that. That's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, yeah. This one's at the bottom, but I like a lot of the songs on it, and I'm we'll talk about it when we get there. I guess it, in a bit more detail, but and I'm not ashamed to admit it. When I was a kid, one of my very first introductions into Black Flag was the drinking and driving video. Yeah. For sure. For sure. So it always has kind of a special place for me for that reason. Yeah. And as I say many, many times on this podcast, it's a time and place thing. And I did not have this one when I was in high school. It wasn't, you know, it was, I was all damaged my war, slip it in. Another thing we should say, Ryan, is there's like two very different versions of this. And I know the vinyl version. Yeah, I've got the CD and the vinyl, and the CD has got the extra tracks, as we mentioned um, on the Blasting Concept 2 episode. Yeah, it's got three extra tracks, I believe, on it, all of which were released on a, an EP that we'll get to way later called I Can See You. You were a bit uh, not a huge fan of that track, I Can See You, as I recall. Yeah, I don't love it. <laughs> it's funny that it's been released like at least three times. <laughs> you know what I mean? That never stopped Greg Ginn. Yeah. It's not, not it's not the Black Flag track I would choose to release on three different albums, but Yeah, but the In My Head LP, you know, has only got the nine songs on it. Well, let's go off the CD version just so we can talk about all of them. You want to talk about the I Can See You EP stuff now? Well, we'll just we'll just mention them 
maybe, that they okay. were released. Paralyzed is the first track. It's pretty good. It's got a cool solo, but I don't love it. Yeah, I would have thought that you would really like Greg's guitar playing on this record. And some of it, actually, the soloing reminded me of kind of Stefan Egerton, Descendants-style melodies every now and then. Yeah, some of it I really like. Some of it, it's just not as wild as what I like. <laughs> you know? uh, Crazy Girl. Kiana thought the lyrics were maybe a little misogynistic, maybe. I'd say this one was definitely started as an instrumental. Black Love, just an okay track for me. White Hot, that one definitely has lots of multi-tracking going on. I like that one. I still, I actually like Henry's vocals. There's a lot of goop on them, but I like him on this one. Yeah. In My Head, I think it's one of their best tracks. Yep. Of their entire discography for me. Love it. It would kind of fit pretty good on one of those earlier records that you mentioned, like the the Loose Nut, Slip It In era. Yeah. Some of the tracks on this record struck me as just like good old rock and roll type stuff, you know? Not really um, slow, not really fast, just kind of mid-tempo rock and roll stuff with Greg Ginn noodling on them a bit. Definitely. Uh, CD and cassette versions then tack on Out of This World and I Can See You, which we'll talk about, I guess, later on the I Can See You episode. You bet. Flip over the vinyl, starts with drinking and driving. As you mentioned, they did a video for that. It's not bad, actually. Not a bad video. Got Henry smashing up cars in a like a wrecking yard with a sledgehammer. It's only got Henry in it, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I couldn't find out much info about that video. I wondered if Dave Markey shot that one. No, I don't think he did. Don't quote me I on feel, that. But. Yeah, I still really like this track. Not only was it one of my very early intros into black flag but i still think it's a deadly track it is good it's you know a straight ahead rock song and i think henry's vocals are i mean some people say they're a bit bit cheesy here but if you want to talk about greg ginn giving him like a, a tape of a completed song and putting vocals over top i thought what he did with this song in particular was really good yeah i don't mind it i'm just looking at the vinyl i was curious if he wrote the lyrics, but my record doesn't say. Mine doesn't either. I think I've got a really late version of this on LP. Do you have a CD version? No, I don't. Let me grab my CD, because they often put it on the actual disc itself. Oh, yeah. So here's some song. So Drinking and Driving, it just says Rollins and Ginn. Yeah. No credit. Oh, Out of This World. Yeah, that's credited to Bill and Kira, actually. Oh, cool. Anyways. What about In My Head? Rollins and Ginn. There you go. The one thing I really like about drinking driving is Greg just peels off some really gnarly guitar licks during the like the car crashing samples. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, retired at 21. Rollins sings. This is probably like, he sings like the most out of any song that I've ever heard him do on this one. Yeah. What about I Love You? Yeah, maybe. But you're right. This is one of the more melodic sounding henry vocals but i've said this before i mean he's I, I mean he's he's definitely like not a very melodic singer but the way he sings does have melody even when he's kind of barking there's a bit of a melody there yeah in the same way that ian mckay with minor threat i mean 
you would not call him a traditional singer, but there's melody to the way that he's singing over all those old minor threat songs, Fugazi too. For sure. Uh, I love the verses in this, and I love how it switches like to a completely different riff and tempo at certain points in the song. It's really cool. Society's Tease. It's just a good, hard-driving rocker. I like it. Uh, and then the vinyl ends with It's All Up To You. And I think if you look, it doesn't say this on... Does it say it on the record? Yes, backing vocals, uh, Henry Rollins and Kira. I think it might be Kira doing the no matter uh, what they say, no matter what they do part on that song. I think that might be Kira. Yeah, that was that's always been my assumption. And then the CD and the cassette tack on You Let Me Down. So there you go. I always liked uh, It's All Up To You as kind of a closer on side two. Yeah, I like that for sure. on the LP. Yeah, for sure. I would definitely listen to the LP a version of LP version of this over the CD one any day. Yeah. But that's we should talk. That's how I we know should, it. So. Uh, yeah, me too. Well, actually, no, that's not true. I know it more probably, if I'm being honest, the CD version. I think I got the LP, I don't know, in the last 20 years or something like that. And I would have got the CD like 25 years ago. What should we do? Talk about the artwork? Oh, we should definitely talk about the artwork. That's what I was going to say because there's tons of it. It's pretty important, too, because it's the last time that you see Pettibone stuff. It's uh, And there's a lot of panels on here. There's eight panels on the record, and each one is uh, disturbing in its own way. Do you want to go through those? You do the front, I'll do the back. Okay. So we'll start at the top, going left to right. The we, first sh- one... we should say, though, Ryan, if anybody hasn't seen this, there's a silhouette of a head, as in, like, these are the thoughts in the in the head, maybe? Yeah, well, the, as per the album title, right? Yeah. That, that's been my assumption, but it's good to point that out. All these cells are a thought in some dude's head. and uh, Raymond Pettibones. Try, <laughs> yeah, well, let's try and connect them. Yeah. The first one is a cell with, you know, I guess a professor or something like that with uh, a cap and gown on. It looks like he's undressing... A girl like a student and it says an a in the school of life he's greasy oh yeah the next one is a guy cleaning a gun like a revolver and it says i've been good too long then there is a cop holding a shotgun leaning up against his car and it says do exactly as you're told and nothing will happen to you i would say that shotgun is very phallic <laughs> a little bit hey yep it's definitely it's definitely erect <laughs> <laughs> jeez uh and then we've seen this before in pettibone artwork a mushroom cloud in the bottom left panel it says the person who took this photograph is dead that's like monty python-esque to me a little bit there's definitely some ironic dry wit going on now and then in Pettibone's work for sure the next one then it kind of looks like a, an older lady almost like possessed then with some almost looks a kind of a clean-cut younger dude in a button-up shirt and it says I've heard that if you slap them that stopped them so it seems as though this guy is probably gonna I don't know hit this girl to stop her from being crazy she's freaking out he's trying to restrain her for sure yeah something like that then the final one on the front it looks almost like 
like a woman in a robe or almost a toga. It looks kind of like a Greek or Roman play type of uh, figure holding a dagger. And it says, is it in her heart, question mark, her mind, question mark, or is it real, question mark? Well, the, the dagger's bloody too, and her arms and hands are either that's someone else's blood or those are like defensive wounds. Yeah, or maybe she cut herself. Maybe. Yeah, so that's the front. Take it away on the back. The back. Well, we've got the bars smushed together, how I hate. Hate those. Hate them like that. And then we've got uh, two more pettibone panels. Uh, one that says, I don't know any language, and it's like a guy in his gotch. <laughs> you should translate that into American. <laughs> Gaunch? Underwear? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Tight whiteies. Yeah. I don't know what he's doing. Some guy's about to shut the door on him, though, or he's just walking into the room. Yeah, what do you think is on that that cabinet there behind him? Oh, I don't know. Like a one of those ships that's in a bottle or something? I don't know. It almost, It's really hard to make out. Yeah. I, I never would have thought a ship in a bottle. I thought one might be... A cup but it's a little off kilter so maybe a candle and then i can't tell what's next to it yeah i don't know either and then uh beneath that i don't know if that uh, there's a gun pointed at a head i don't know if if it's his hand or if it's someone else's maybe it's a puppet maybe it's the my war <laughs> maybe it's the my war puppet <laughs> getting some redemption are you yeah and it says i was on a roll Probably, no, I was trying to, probably I was trying his to, own hand, I'm guessing. Yeah. I was trying to think whether that guy, like that guy's face is the one that is, except I guess maybe the, well, I don't know. His face just looks kind of reminiscent of another face that I, I know. And I'm just trying to think like if that was on purpose or just some random face. Yeah, I know what you mean, but I don't know either. Oh, well, yeah. let's go through the credits. They're uh, different on the CD than on the LP, and that's probably just because of the extra tracks. Were they still executive produced by Nixon Management on the CD? Yes. Okay, phew. <laughs> Nixon in all caps, of yeah, course. of course. I think we mentioned recorded at Total Access, Redondo Beach, produced by Ginn, tracking engineer Dave Tarling. <laughs> Wasn't that the great white dude? Don't ask me. You would know that. <laughs> Tracking production is Dave Tarling, Greg Ginn, and Bill Stevenson. And then mixing engineer, Michael Boshiers, executive producer, we said again, is Nixon Management. And uh, backing vocals, Henry and Kira, which is interesting that Henry gets a backing vocals credit. Yeah. Special thanks to Cliff Samuels for everything, as you mentioned. Like, that's it. We're out. Do you have the vinyl? Yeah, no dead wax. I checked, though. Okay, let me check mine. Never know. I don't think they did any because I looked on Discogs. Yeah, no, it just looks like uh, kind of factory numbers. Yeah, that's it. Ballot result? Yeah, I think it's time to get out of our head now. Ballot result. What's your pick? Well, I would actually... I, I have a bit of a soft spot for drinking and driving, but I, I don't think you can pick anything but in my head for this one. I'm glad you said that, because it's such an awesome song. Yeah, well, we can stay friends now, right? Yeah. <laughs> Ryan, what's next week? So next week, 
we are going to return to saccharine trust, world broken. And I think this is going to be a, a different sounding saccharine trust once again. Very interested to get into this one. And we've got a special guest. Joe Biza is going to be on the podcast. Joe B. Yeah. Nice. See you next week. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.